Hi there, I'm Paul Irwin and welcome to the pros.com podcast where we discuss all of the relevant issues to help you succeed as a freelance translator or interpreter. We cover sales and marketing, translation techniques, cat tools and much, much more. Find out more at anchor.fm slash pros. Hey there, Paul here. Hope you're doing fantastically well. This is episode 35, and today we're talking to Stephen Rifkint, who has some really good advice about how to how to get clients and how to keep clients. I love I love Stephen's way of of talking about this this subject. He he seems kind of um, laid back and straightforward. He's not um, he's not sort of overly overly pushy with his ideas but if you listen to what he has to say it really is just wonderful wonderful advice so that's that's coming up in just a second we're now into August wow this year is uh is just flying by I don't know how it is for you but for me it it just seems like seconds ago that we were at the turn of the year and so much obviously has happened since then And next month in September, we have the International Translation Day, the ITD 2021, which is a free event, a completely free event hosted by pros.com, bringing together speakers from around the world. It's going to be two days completely packed with with amazing sessions. So don't, don't miss out on that. Put it in your diary. That's the 29th and 30th of September. And if you'd like to speak at International Translation Day, then please uh, please reach out to me via training at pros.com and I can send you an application for that. So that's International Translation Day. We're looking for we're looking for a, a whole range of speakers. We're looking for people who can talk on what one might consider the traditional subject, such as marketing and interpreting topics. But we're also looking for people who have a different story to tell or a different angle to represent. So if you feel that's you, then please uh, write to me at training at pros.com and I can give you some more details. Finally, don't forget to check out our course platform training.pros.com. We have we have a great workshop coming up in October with Corinne McKay. That's fearless direct client marketing. Fearless direct client marketing. Develop the skills you need to build your direct client portfolio. That's a three-hour workshop with Corinne, followed by a one-hour Q&A. Head on over to training.pros.com to check that out. Right, let's get started with Stephen. Stephen Rifkint, Gagouzia Translation, specializes in legal and financial translation from Hebrew, French, and Russian to English, both US and UK. He has an eclectic academic background including law and business, and more than 17 years' experience. He is an ITA-recognized translator as well as a member of the ATA and SFT and a pros.com certified translator. He also both teaches and edits English. He enjoys the synergy of working with his wife, Svia Levin-Rifkint, a professional medical translator from English to Hebrew. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, really, really looking forward to this one, Stephen. I know you've got a lot of um, a lot of experience in getting clients, bringing new clients on board, and certainly looking forward to to you sharing some of some of that wisdom in the uh, 
the very special way that you managed to to do so. But before we get onto that, let's just um, let's just step back in time, as I often like to do, and tell us where it all started for you. Where does this journey into languages and into translation? Where did it all start for you, Stephen? Um, one of the few things which I was naturally good at was languages. It just my mother's French, so I spoke French very well, and I've learned Hebrew and I've learned Russian. But it wasn't a very useful talent for many years. I became a teacher. And then when I, when I found it difficult to teach long hours, um, I did an inventory of my skills and came up with languages. But as an amusing story is my first translation was reading the Harry Potter stories to my young daughter, translating them from the, from the English into Hebrew, so we say simultaneous translation, of the stories, and I translated four Harry Potter novels. That was my initial nice. uh, transla- <laughs> yeah. tra- translation. I can't say they were beautiful literary translations, but my daughter was entertained. Very <laughs> oh, um, good. Well, that's the important thing, isn't it? In that case, yeah. No, brilliant, brilliant. So you were you were kind of you, you kind of stumbled across translation through, or, or arrived at translation through a, a, a perhaps a, a not all that common analytical process. Is that is that right? Well, you know, what, when my, my first degree is in Russian, and people always ask the stupid question, what are you going to do? And I never considered translation because we have to keep in mind at that time, there was no real word processing. I had word processor using, dot, uh, using basic commands, but that's not effective word processing. And the physical process of translating and the whole seemed completely impractical impractical to me and i didn't know anything about translation so yeah i came to the point where i i needed to figure out a way to make more money uh without the emotional in investment of teaching which was becoming more difficult and it was it, it was a it was it, it was sort of literally making an inventory of what 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 do i know and what can i do and then an invitation came, and from there, I, 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 I have an MBA, which means I should know something about business, but I, did, I had no idea how to run a business. I had nothing really except my intuition, common sense, and a willingness to make errors. I mean, make an error mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. and learn. Heuristics is the fancy word in English for that one. Um, and I started out small, so all my errors were small. I mean, I never... and and that's how it, it, I developed it today. There are courses. There's a lot more resources for young translators. But I didn't know of any at the time. And I didn't look that hard for them. But as Frank Sinatra would say, I did it my way, and that's fine. Okay, yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have that experience of um, looking back to when they started and, and realizing that the information wasn't around and, and trying to figure out, figure out everything for themselves, so you've certainly done a very good job of that, Stephen. Um, and you kept a couple of teaching clients. Is that is that right? I've I've been a I teach English at a at an engineering school in my city. Um, I went after many years. I maybe uh, for many years I kept full time and and developed my translating business. Once my translating business reached a point where it was sufficiently successful and my financial situation allowed it, 
I went down to half-time translation, actually half-time teaching and full-time translation. Yeah. Uh, I find the balance very healthy. I'm around very successful young people, two hours a day, and it gives me a lot of positive energy. Um, and it also it makes sure I always have money to pay my, my mortgage, which is nice security to have. And the other real practical effect is no reason to give up my pension. Yep, yep. I, I, I like that balance for a lot of people. So we talk about sort of diversification in, in different types of work. We don't tend to talk about diversification as much in terms of different activities um, in the sense that, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily teaching online. It's, it's teaching and, and that, that difference in activity, getting out and doing something different, meeting different people. I think that can work really well for some people. Of course, for others, that absolute laser-like focus on, on, a, on an area of specialization um, works very well too. But um, yeah, I'm glad you found that balance, Stephen. Very good. Good for you. Okay, fantastic. So, well, thanks, thanks for that sort of bit of a bit of an introduction. Let's um, let's dive into clients now because I've I've had a couple of discussions with you before. You you appeared on a panel at uh, at International Translation Day last year, which was uh, very well received. And I know you've got some 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 great tips. So let's talk a little bit about how you go about getting clients now. Whether you want to sort of go back to those early days and talk to us about what worked then or what works now it's it's really up to you but let's start to talk a little bit about your the types of clients that you found and and how you found them over the years Stephen please uh first of all I tend to view this business as essentially a repeat business there's a wonderful story at a large department store in the United States where all the salespeople were told that the average client spends $1,600 a year at the store. And then if a client takes a half hour to choose a tie and you put clients off, you do not lose the, the, the commission on a tie. You lose the, you lose the 1600 The store loses $1,600 a year because that client is not happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is how I view this business. I, I do beside, I, I translate contracts but my opening is often very simple certificates, marriage, death, police, uh, good, good citizenship elements, which are very simple and really inexpensive and translations. You cannot earn a living on that translation, on that document itself. There's not a lot of money, but it doesn't make a difference for me. First of all, the hourly rate works out fantastic. But more importantly, once I prove to a customer that I deliver a good product on time, I communicate well, that I am a reliable supplier, that when they get the big project, when they get the big contract, when I can get the medium, and when they have a medium or large size project to give me, they know who they're dealing with. And just like we don't tend to give large, important projects to people we don't know, because we don't, we don't want a disaster, the small yep. projects are a real opportunity, if you look at them correctly, to prove you are reliable. And I think that is one of the key is psychologically, you don't look at the size of the job. You look at what is the potential of this customer. And it is very important to, whether it's an agency or a final customer. And from the, if it's an end customer, a small one, do they know people? Let's give an example. I received a request to translate a um, 
a, an official document for, for, for someone in France. Well, she knows lots of other people who are in the similar state who need documents. So from that one very simple document, I just got a huge marketing that I can get that I, that I assume it down the line, I'll get a lot of lot more customers from. So you can't view the small job, the small customer as a waste of time. It is, it is an opening you should be thankful you're getting that someone's trusting you on something small. And then when something, the bigger projects come in, you are well positioned. Um, people will pay more money to people they trust. This no, it goes without saying. The other aspect is, is that the, the whole business is changing. This conglomeration is a huge factor going on. Um, the boutique agencies, the, the good paying medium sized agencies are being gobbled up by all the, all the pack, the, the Pac-Man monsters out there, which means that agency business, when I started, almost all work came through agencies. Today, I think most new translators are told and correctly so, find the customer. Where are the customers? Is it on, is it, is it through uh, conventions? Is it through Facebook? Is it through any medium? Find the customer. Uh, the agencies will always be there. Um, but, but if we're realistic, only if you have a very good specialty like medical, I have legal, even legal doesn't pay that well anymore. Uh, they're not going to go, you know, the rates have gone down in the last over 10 years. Uh, the other factor okay. we have, yep. The other factor we have to keep in mind is machine translation, not whether it's good or bad or indifferent, but it's being used for you for certain types of documents, patents, uh, mass legal elements, con uh, basic contracts are being done using machine translation because it's good enough and getting upset about it's not going to help it help anybody. So yep. you have to realize niches are disappearing and you have to find your niche. And a lot of it is thinking about who your customer is and where can I find them, whether it's an agency or an end client. And how do you go about, I mean, it's, it's easier to find agencies. I'm, I'm guessing, how do you, how do you go about finding those, those clients and how do you attract them? I, I, I really like what you said about starting off with the, the small jobs. Um, but like, how have you found that those small jobs have, have come into your business, Stephen? I monitor a lot of Facebook sites and let's just say 50% of my Facebook sites are professional translators and the like, because jobs do come up there and sometimes I get lucky on it. Uh, I do get stuff from Prozy, which is also a translator site for all practical purposes, but the other 50% are English are specialized customers, English immigrants in, in Israel, uh, French immigrants, uh, the Jewish community, because I translate three languages, Hebrew, French, and English, Hebrew, French, and Russian to English. So I'm looking for those people who would need, at least on an opening level, those type of certificates. Um, so if I have time and, and brain power, and or I'm, I'm taking a walk and I'm thinking, okay, who, who, who might, who might, can I, who might I be able to reach, who might want my services? Now, once I identify who my customers are, uh, I, wrote a, I wrote a post on marketing. I try to have a weekly or bi-weekly, twice, uh, once a, bi-monthly, bi twice a month 
presence, some type of an article, some type of information, not advertising, yeah. just put my name out there that that when it happens that someone needs translation, my name will be more familiar than anybody else's name. And that's a very long term process. But um, given the current state of the economy, and I'm not really optimistic about 2021, uh, you it's important to position yourself when things eventually do turn around. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're doing a lot of, a lot of social media work in order to stay top of mind, basically. Yeah. To stay, to stay top of mind. And I do get, I do get every month one or two small hits and that's, and, and I'm, and I'm very, when I, when I code my new work, I my work I mark new, so I I want a couple of new clients a month. Uh, the other thing I do is I try to work my existing clients. My invoice, uh, since I work, th I really do three, four, four things. I translate three languages to English, and I do English editing. All of them are listed on my invoice. In other words, if the person looks there and says, "Oh, I see this also person does this," again, not always immediately does it kick in. But often they remember that I also do that. So it's a very nice skill to have um, just to, to get more out of your existing out of your existing customer base. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that, Stephen. So just giving a little little advert, little note, little call out on your on your invoice. And some people might glance over it, might some people might remember it, and then they'll come back to you when the time is right. Very good, very good. Any tips? Any tips for any tips for keeping clients in the long term? Like long we, we talked about this sort of lifetime value. Any tips for 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 increasing that, i.e., keeping the client over the long term? I, I there is something called cons consumer loyalty, and consumer loyalty is mo customer loyalty is very interesting. Is that according to research, it doesn't actually, it's not created at the type of time of purchase. It's created when things go wrong. So if your air condition stops working in the middle of the summer and you call the person who installed it and he shows up the same afternoon to fix it, you go, okay, there was a mistake with the air condition, but I know that if there's a mistake, they're, they're here to, to I, I won't have to spend three days sweating, which we all appreciate. Um, the same thing with translation. When there is a problem, whether it's your fault or not, is not terribly relevant. It is very important to be prompt, deal with it, treat it seriously. Uh, you don't have to take personal responsibility. You don't have to pay for the error, but you don't let the person stew. That is the wrong approach to do it. The other aspect is I negotiate deadlines much more than I negotiate price. To me, a deadline is a commitment. In 16 years, I've been late twice, and and two and and both times were not my fault. They were caused by somebody else involved in the in the in the job. Uh, I will never commit to a deadline that I cannot do a proper job. I rather say no, I can't do it, than um, promise something that I have a very strong feeling I won't be I won't be able to either deliver on time, or I can't do proper QA. Uh, I also do not do 24-hour. I do not do same-day service. Um, you yep. the, the, the day you write your first draft, you are blind to its errors. 
I'll deliver at eight o'clock the next morning. I have no, I'll be able to see my errors, but same day service is a, is a basically a recipe for disaster. And when I've lost customers, it's basically because I've tried to please them a little too much. I've never lost a customer mm-hmm. because I said, I can't meet your deadline. I will give a realistic deadline when I can meet, when I can do it. Um, but I feel that fundamentally what agencies and customers want is a deadline uh, to you to meet deadlines or earlier. There's a great story about the two candy stores and one was doing better than the other. And the person, why is this store doing better than the other one? Because they basically the same, same candies. And they show that the, the one of the store, the person if ordered, they ordered a, a pound of, or a kilo of, of a certain, of a certain bonbon they would, they would take the scoop, put it in, and they would go back in and put it more. In other words, they always took out a list, little less and added more, giving the feeling that they were getting more. So if I set a deadline and I deliver a half a day earlier, a day earlier, the customer's thrilled because I not only did I meet my deadline, I did it early. I like to get things done early so I can do it. I can take on new projects. Uh, I think... Yep. I am. Sh- I was shocked when I began the business, and I am shocked today how many people ignore deadlines. And I don't understand it. Wow, some great stuff in there, Stephen. So I, I especially like the the point you mentioned a minute ago about when there's a problem, and that's when I think you're you're sort of um, you know you you really show what you can do as a as a person and as a company when there is that problem and. And then not getting caught up on whose fault it is, but just trying to solve the problem. And I think that's where where people fall down sometimes, and it can kind of drift into an argument. And 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 I don't think that's really very helpful. So I think that's that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. And then your other point there about uh, offering that little bit extra over over um, under promising and uh, over delivering. I think that's uh, that's always a, a good way to go as well. So. I, I like the way that you've you've gone about building up clients with these strategies that it seems to me that no one's really no one's really taught you them, um, but you seem to pick them up over the years. I'm interested to know where you where you where you get your stories from because they're they're, they're very interesting little little bits and pieces. Is it just from sort of general general reading over the years? It, or no, where do you get those I, from? I, I um I wrote a post called Intuit. At I-N-T-U-I-T. Um, and I relate to the fact that if, if I look at my business decisions, my intuition has been right 99% of the time. And whether, whatever the, the objective facts is, if my, if my intuition says do this or do that, and I choose to ignore it, or I ignore the red light, I get in trouble. And I think on a large basis, as business people, we must trust our intuition. If the customer seems just like a walking disaster, that nothing good is going to come from this, and yes, I need the business, but this is not the type of person I want to work with, and that's what your intuition is saying, you should listen to it. If, a, if, if something comes up and says that you're going to really have to work hard and change your plans, but somehow it's what you want to do right now, then you should make the effort to do it. And only later do you understand why your decision was right. You don't have the objective facts at that moment. And I think as business people, and excuse me, translators are business people, 
we need to listen to, we need to stop and listen. Uh, one of the basic rules is if you have doubt or unsure what to do, don't answer immediately. Sit there for two minutes, five minutes. And if after five minutes, you still don't really want to do the job, don't. There's probably a good reason why you don't want to do the job. Everybody's got something they hate doing or it's not appropriate for you. Uh, on the other hand, if, if after five minutes, you're still excited about doing something, then go do it. Now, you may negotiate price. You may negotiate deadline. That's acceptable. But the basic decision of how what direction you want to go has to be intuitively in line because when when people are in line with their intuition they do a much better job if you hate the moment you you decide to take on a project it's going to affect your quality totally totally no very 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 good advice i think sometimes we do um we don't listen to our own intuition enough and i think it probably also gets better um over time as you get more experienced in 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 business so yeah good stuff good stuff all right Stephen. another thing i'd like to ask you about today is uh, relates to your sort of document translation business and document handling errands and it's it's kind of um, uh, a reason i'm asking you about this is i i've heard that i've heard this story before and i found it quite revealing it's a sort of um quite a quite a simple approach but very effective and not one that i think everyone thinks of so Tell us a little bit about that document uh, translation business. In, in, Stephen, please. In the, I do a lot of, uh, put the way, courts require certain legal documents, which are very simple translations. They're bank statements, birth certificates, all the little things of life proving where we live and how much money we have. Um, as anybody who's ever been to court knows, money is no particular object in courts because the attorney is earning a lot more money than the translators. But timeliness and form are very important. So there's been a very long-going case in England involving gambling, to the best of my knowledge. And there are regular requests for the most incredibly simple translations, often basically newly, newly notified versions of previous translations I did. But their requirements are often sending physical copies. And they need it done fairly quickly. Uh, so price is not really the issue. The issue is, are you doing it according to their form? Because they have very specific forms of, of certification. And are you meeting their deadlines and their delivery elements? So I have developed a trust with this agency. And they tell me we need physical delivery. And I say 24, 48 hour, or, or just registered mail. And they know that I, so it, it often means I go to the, I have to go to the post office. But I charge them for going to the post office. And believe me, I make money going to the post office. Uh, so it's not, it's, not a, it's not a very big deal. And again, it's repeat business. I can tell you that this month I've gotten three, three different documents that have to, be, have to have to be sent this month alone. And if you think about how do you, how do you survive economically as a translator, is you want a customer, a customer sending you two or three jobs a month. You would like to have a whole bunch of them sending you two or three they don't have to be big. In fact, sometimes it's much mm. better if, the, if it takes an hour because you have other things you're working on. Yeah. So, yeah. As, so as a service, if they need that certification, um, it, then it's, or if they need the little things, uh, they know you're going to charge for the time. God knows the lawyers are charging for the time, so they understand that. But you can't sit and say, no, I'm only a translator. 
No, you're not only a translator. You're you're a service provider. If you can provide the service professionally, whether it's editing, whether it's translation, whether it's transcreation, uh, whether it's DTP, whatever, whatever you have the skills for, and you can do it professionally, then add it. Yeah, I, lo I love the way you've just added on that sort of service of going to the post office that, that not every translator would want to do. And you've made it work really, really well for you. I think it's, I think it's brilliantly sort of simple um, and effective. It's, it's wonderful. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that, Stephen. It's really, really good. I think, I think a lot of translators just, just do struggle in general with, with the idea of getting more clients. And it's, it's one of, that's why I'm happy to, to hear a lot of the things that you've been saying today, Stephen, because a lot, a, lot of, a lot of translators struggle with it. Most people, most translators, when you talk to them, will say, if, and if you ask them directly the question, would you like to have more clients? They will say yes. And therefore, it is a, 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 an issue for, for many, many people. So, so yeah, this is all, all brilliant stuff. What else can someone do? Have you got any any other pearls of wisdom in terms of how a translator might step out of their, perhaps it's to do with limiting uh, beliefs, perhaps it's to do with a special strategy or, or, or technique, Any anything else I, that someone I, might consider? I, I, I think that in one of the biggest problems is that so many translators are introverts, okay, professionally and personally, and... What they don't realize that if they're not in, if if they have no presence on the internet, they're invisible. Because translation is not yep. is not a geographically linked business. It's geographical time zones, effectively. That's all it really means. Geography today, um, and I think the problem is you have. I think uh, the test is type your name into Google. What appears? What appears? If nothing appears with your name, you have not been active enough. Are you posting? Are you are you um, are you getting involved in, in conferences? Even today's Zoom conferences can are free or very low cost. Uh, let's just give an let's just give an example. It, in the end of September, there's a big conference in Poland. I don't know what the cost is, but it's, it's a Zoom conference. It's not going to be expensive. Uh, the Israeli translation had a conference. Uh, several months ago. There are a lot of conferences, Zoom, and they're not, you don't even have to worry about the hotel. I mean, it's, it's, and then the flight, they're inexpensive. Are you out there? Do people know your exists? Your customers, is, do, is there any conferences going on? If you work with doctors, if you work with lawyers, if you work with accountants, whatever your field is, are they out there? Do they know you exist? If they don't know you exist, you're not going to get a job. You're not going to get any work for them. So you have to find a way to reach them. And reaching them can be literally sometimes showing up or listening in on their on a on a Zoom conference. And many of these conferences have have chats, social time, all these elements, and being there. It takes effort, it takes setting time, but it also it says I that unlike advertising, marketing takes time and it takes repeated effort. You must be where the customers are. Um, yeah. Agencies, I, I know that some people have had success reaching agencies, sending letters or elements. I've heard that. I also know people have had a success through LinkedIn and I've tried and I'm working on it, but there are LinkedIn experts how to get worked on LinkedIn. 
I think that's a relevant, very relevant place. Are you involved in Lincoln? Are you is your are you putting out notices? Are you are you are you out there? If you're not out there, nobody knows you exist. Therefore, you're not going to get any work. Miracles don't occur. And I think that's the most important thing is being out there. And it doesn't have to cost money. The last thing I want that I should really want to mention is local. Do you have any signpost? And a sign could be a physical sign, a business, a local business uh, um, uh, internet site. Do people in your town know that you exist? If they don't know exist, you exist, then again, you're losing, you're losing a hometown business. Not a really good idea. It doesn't, most of the stuff, most of these techniques don't cost money. All they require is time and investment and some thought. Yeah, brilliant. Again, brilliant, brilliant stuff. I, li I like the idea of a, a global reach because the internet allows us to, to have that global reach if you have those activity levels, as you've said, Stephen. And I also like the idea of having kind of a local advantage. So you've got the global reach and a local advantage where if, especially if you are in a, in a larger a town or a city, then and you have that that presence and that activity then then people will find you and and they're more inclined to go with you sometimes because you are local so oh, yes. that that combination can work can work pretty well right uh I, the funny story is my ex sister-in-law was a graphologist which is popular here and for years she had a sign in, in the in the lawn right in front of her house and she used to get work people coming by every week I mean, everybody drove by that sign several times a day. Everybody in that town knew that she she was the expert in graphology. Okay. Uh, yep. Yep. It's not that Same big of work. a town, but everybody knew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. Great. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Brilliant, Stephen. Well, been a been a really nice, revealing conversation with you. You, you just have a, a really nice way of um, talking about these issues in, in kind of you've kind of got a really nice relaxed style but you but but really filled with substance as well you really give um actionable tips tips that are that are that are really going to make a difference to translators and so i hope um for those of you listening right now i hope you're able to pick up on one or two things that Stephen has kindly shared with us today and and, and take action on them and, and and make them make them a reality in, in your business. So Stephen, thank you so, so much. I'll leave you with the last word. Please include some kind of details for anyone who might want to get in touch with you. And, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much. Uh, th Paul, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, if you want to contact me, uh, my site is Gaguzia Translations, G-A-G-U-Z-I-A -A, Translations. Now I'll I'll end up with the, with the joke because humor is important. Uh, anybody, if, if Gaguzia is a very uh, is an autonomous reagent in Moldavia, uh, and I thought the name was so funny, everybody could remember it because when I my generation, seventy percent of the boys got the name Stephen, not fifty. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Uh, so Gaguzia translation is 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 my site, and um, if you have any questions or you want to share any ideas, I'll be very happy to. To, 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 be, to be in contact brilliant brilliant Stephen thanks again thanks for your time and uh, speak again soon and all the very best thank you yeah but you have a good morning thank you yeah thank you Stephen all the best take care
Brilliant stuff from Stephen there. Hope you enjoyed that one. And don't forget to check out training.pros.com. And I'll be back next week. All the best. Bye-bye.